And again, we're in Colossians, and we're just continuing through chapter 1. We looked at the, only the first two verses last week, but today we're looking at chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. Verse 3 to 8. And um, it was deep, I'm not going to lie. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be real deep today. The, the, the points are prayer and thanksgiving, um, but there's some more points as we go along that you'll see. Um, but the title is Guarded for Glory. Guarded for Glory. And in this section, Paul starts out really with thankfulness. Because thankfulness results from praying to God, and praying to, uh, and praying to God results in thankfulness. It's like they're connected. And I think back when God, what God has done in my life, how he's rescued me and blessed me and used me for his glory, I can't help but be thankful. It's like you have to be thankful. So in prayer, I want to thank God because of what he's done and who he is. And, and when I'm in prayer, I grow in thankfulness because of the fact that God's actually hearing my cries. With children, you have to teach them to be thankful because one of their innate instincts is just to take and expect to be given things, right? There, there was one point where my wife was like, baby, you have to stop buying them toys every single time you go to the store. And of course, I, I, was, I thought, well, why is buying our girls, we're blessing our kids? Like, why is that bad? Well, she proceeded to tell me that now every time she took them to the store, our daughters expected to get at least one thing. And my wife was the, the mean one because she said no. So after that explanation, I got it. They always got what they wanted when they're in a store with me. And so they expected to get a toy to take home. They weren't thankful, but instead they were expecting to get something out of just going to the store with mom or dad. Before I was a believer, I was less thankful than when I got saved. Because we naturally, we take things for granted. Right, But for those who are saved and are walking with the Lord, isn't there so much to be thankful for? And since we're doing this whole Facebook Live thing, listen, as I continue on teaching, just, I would just encourage you, type something, if you have your phone or whatever, in the comments, just tell me one thing you're thankful for. Like, I am thankful for dot, 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 and you can fill in the blank. Because as believers, I think that encourages us to remind us, like, man, we're, we don't need to take anything for granted. All good gifts are from God. We can be extremely and incredibly thankful to Him. So we heard the gospel, and we were saved, and so we see God in this life, and as we seek Him, we're grateful. Thankfulness and prayer are connected. We can thank God for the amazing people He has placed in our lives. We can thank God that He brought the gospel to us through others, and that we were transformed and rescued. And there's always something to be thankful for. And there's always something to be thankful for because there's always hope. Paul, Paul, remember, Paul was an on-fire believer, a die-hard proponent of the gospel. But Paul was also a radical encourager. Man, could Paul encourage people? Even when it would seem like he's the one needing encouragement, he would still encourage. Especially being on house arrest while writing Colossians. But in this section of scripture, Paul gave serious thanks to the believers in Colossae. Paul was giving thanks for what Christ had done in the lives of these believers. And, and in this letter, Paul actually gave thanks five other times. So I believe there's even more weight behind Paul's words because he was in prison as he was writing this letter. So again, let's pray and then we'll get into these verses this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We just pray, God, that you would speak to us through it. God, that you would teach us, that we would be open to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Paul writes, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
So these believers who Paul was writing to, they were on his prayer list, if you will. Now, I think it's a great thing to have like a prayer list because we sometimes forget what we need to pray for and even who we need to pray for. Like if someone asks you to pray for them, I would recommend praying for them right, right away. And I'm sure none of you are guilty of this, but have you ever said, oh, I'll be praying for you, and you totally forget. And they say, thank you for praying for me. The next week, it was answered. And you're like, that was probably someone else's prayer. I'm sorry, but you don't want to admit it. So, I would just, so I've tried to get in the habit of like, I just don't say, okay, I'll pray for you. I just like, let me pray for you now, because I don't want to forget. Or, or make a prayer list. It's just a practical way to remember what and who to pray for. I mean, but see, Paul didn't just pray for these occasionally, those people occasionally. He prayed for them always. The heart of Paul was a heart of gratefulness as he was praying for these guys. And that's what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is us connecting to God on behalf of someone else. And I think the Colossians were incredibly blessed to know that Paul was praying for them always. I don't know about you, but I'm so encouraged when someone says they're praying for me, even if they forget. I don't care. Just them saying that to me, it encourages and lifts me up. It lifts up my countenance like crazy. Isn't it encouraging knowing people are seeking God on your behalf? Paul writes to the Colossians that I'm praying for you always. See, Paul didn't even know most of these people in Colossae, but he prayed for them consistently. We can hear about a lot of people going through some some serious storms, and we can still connect with God for them, even though we don't know them personally. And this is the body of Christ. This is what the body of Christ is for. Prayer and gratitude are really connected. Because as we pray more often, we become more grateful to God for all he's done in our lives, and it causes us to want to pray for others. We should pray for one another and be thankful for one another because we are one body. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 speaks about that if one member of the body is strengthened, this helps to strengthen the entire body. And again, we are in this together, and the more connected we are, the stronger we are. We are to stay connected with one another so as to be lifted up and strengthened in this short life that we are blessed with. So in the next five verses, we see that Paul really traces the stages of spiritual revival of the Colossian believers. I'm going to throw out these four points right now, but we're going to go over them and expound upon them. But they heard the gospel, number one, they heard the gospel. Number two, they believed in Jesus Christ. So they heard the gospel, they believed in Jesus. Number three, they were discipled. And number four, they became faithful in Christ. So heard the gospel, believed in Jesus, they were discipled, they became faithful in Christ. And as we'll break this progression down to see clearly the growth and spiritual experience of the Christians in Colossae, that's what will become clear to us. And we can personalize this as well because this is how the progression of growing in Christ and revival in the heart actually happens. So verse four to eight, Paul continues, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Verse 7, As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So this section really shows us why Paul was thankful. Paul was thankful for their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. 
right? Genuine faith is tethered and tied to true love for God's people. When we live by faith, we realize, empathize, and have a commonality with other believers. When we are walking by faith, you see other Christians through the eyes of God's love, right? If there's no love there, there's a lack of faith there. And the more I walk with the Lord, the more I fall in love with God and fellow believers, because we're in this life together to sharpen one another, to encourage one another. So therefore, we should be thankful for each other. There's absolutely no space or room for hate in the family of God. But there's every reason to be thankful. So Paul was praying the Christians in Colossae, praying for them, and he was thankful for them. So now let's look at the progression of revival, verse 4 to 8 again. Number one, they heard the gospel. The second part of verse 5 and verse 7, they heard the gospel. The news of the gospel was not native to Colossae. See, it had been brought to them by Epaphras, if you remember, who was a citizen of Colossae. Epaphras had come into contact with Paul, and he was saved. This was thought to have happened during Paul's uh, three-year ministry in Ephesus. So if you think that the person you shared the gospel with three years ago was pointless, think again. You know, because God's word is not wasted. You know, as Isaiah 55 tells us, when the word goes out, it accomplishes the purposes for which it went out. And often the purpose of God's word going out is to affect hearts and transform minds and save souls. Don't let a lack of visible results stop you from sharing your faith. That, that faith that you shared 10 years ago might actually finally come to fruition this year in their heart. But you, you relayed the message, you relayed the reality of the gospel to them. It's going to have its effect. So Epaphras was saved, and he went back to Colossae and shared the gospel with his city. You know, in our witnessing of the gospel to people, we should, we should emphasize the fact that it's good news. Gospel means good news. So Paul reviews the exciting characteristics of the gospel message. First, the gospel centers on Jesus, and you see that in verse 4. The theme of this letter to the Colossians was the uh, preeminence of Jesus Christ, the false teachers, they were trying to remove this idea that Jesus was the center of salvation. They wanted to destroy the gospel, and they were making little headway. Yet still, Paul wanted to warn these guys. It is Christ who died for us and rose again. The gospel does not center on a philosophy, a religious system, or a doctrine. The gospel centers on Christ. Second, the gospel is truth. Verse 5, the gospel is truth. The truth came from God, and so it can and should be trusted. Because there are many statements that are true, but God's word is truth. It stands, it stays, and it saves. It's like the everlasting gobstopper in Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. You guys remember the original? I know, I'm sure my age here, but I'm just saying, you remember the original? I loved it. When, you're, when I was a kid, I was watching that. I was like, this everlasting gobstopper, this is amazing. So this, this candy, it never dissolves, it never goes away, and it always tastes amazing? It lasts forever, like eternity? As a kid, you're just like, I want, does that, do those exist? Of course, your parents break your heart and say no, but it would just be so awesome. It just lasts forever. It was always good. The gospel, it's always good news, and it will always lead to saved souls. It leads to life everlasting with the Lord. But remember, faith is only as good as the object in which a person puts their trust. The true Christian believer has faith in Christ, which is founded in truth. And third, the gospel is the message of God's grace. The second part of verse 6. It's the message of God's grace. Grace and mercy, they're often confused Remember, mercy does not give us what we deserve. We deserve death and destruction. 
Grace is getting what we don't deserve, eternal life, a future in heaven, blessings on earth. Grace is God's favor shown to undeserving sinners. The reason that the gospel is good news is because God's grace makes it possible for you and I to be saved. And fourth, the gospel is for the whole world, in verse 6. The word of God is the only seed that can be planted anywhere in the world and bear fruit. False teachers go to where the gospel has already been preached and people have been saved, and they try to lead people away from the truth. False teachers have no good news for lost sinners. The gospel, so the gospel centers on Jesus, is truth, is about God's grace, and is for the whole world. The gospel is amazing. So really, let's continue with the heart of the gospel. So we looked at the fact that they heard the gospel, number one. Now let's look at the second point, which is number two, they believed in Jesus Christ. Verse four, they believed. So the word of God has power to generate faith in the hearer, as Romans 10, 17 says. So, but so many people have heard the gospel and they walked away from it not believing. And this is why we're saved and on a mission, to relay the message of the gospel. This is our main mission in relation to unbelievers. There's, there's this idea prevalent today that we need to have faith in faith. No, the object of our faith actually matters. Jesus is the object of our faith. If someone says they have faith, it may sound good, but you've got to ask them, well, what or who do you have faith in? Because someone could sound super spiritual, like, wow, you're so spiritual. But ask them, well, okay, that's great, you have faith, but faith in what? We aren't saved without knowing and grasping truth. Believing, believing involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. With our mind, we understand the truth. With our heart, we are convicted and saved. And when we exercise our will and believe in Jesus, the process of salvation is sealed. In short, you know, to, in a summation, faith is commitment to Jesus Christ. Saving faith is grounded in the gospel which gives us assurance and leads to spiritual maturity. So our faith becomes steadfast and established, as verse 7 says. And so the, the false teachers, they came to Colossae to unthrone, to try to unthrone Jesus Christ and cause questions about the truth in the gospel. They tried to unthrone him. And of course, it didn't work. And Paul made sure it wouldn't work by writing this letter of warning. It's like when the original... Uh, original um, I, I'm sorry, I'm just referencing movies, but you guys remember the original uh, Rambos? Remember Rambo? I mean, come on, Sylvester Stallone was a man. Um, the original, when they first came out, there was just, there was no one who could take him out. He was unstoppable. You thought he was dead, he rises up from this swamp with a gun and be like, ah, you know, he's just like, he's unstoppable. You know, it's like, whoa, when you're a kid, you're just like, whoa. Um, but the name of Jesus, unlike, the, you know, the Rambo movies, which were movies, is powerful. You know, the name of Jesus is life-changing. It's unstoppable. As you share the gospel, he's going to have and do his work. It's, it's radical. See, the faith of believers in Colossae was strong because everyone knew about it. So the city was a target for false teachers. They heard about this city where there's people of faith. Let's go in there and spread lies now. Let's try to unthrone Jesus. Not going to work. But Paul wanted to make sure and warn these guys to beware. So the Colossians, they heard the gospel, they believed in Jesus, and number three, they were discipled, verse seven. The word learned in verse seven has the meaning of being discipled in the original Greek. Um, so Epaphras didn't just share the gospel in his hometown and abandon the people. There you go, you're saved, be warm and be blessed, peace, I'm out. You know, he didn't, he stayed and he discipled them. He taught them and they learned. 
as believers, we're always learning. If you hear the phrase, well, I pretty much know everything about the Christian faith. Oh, I know that, the whole Bible. Oh, I, I've heard that verse before. I don't need this. That. Then there's major red, those are red flags, right? Because learning and growing in Christ is a lifelong process and adventure. The Great Commission isn't just about sharing the gospel and walking away. It's about sharing the gospel and then discipling and teaching and pouring the truth in the, into those who are saved. This is what the local church is for as well, to build up people in the faith by getting in and staying in the word of truth. So Epaphras shared the gospel and discipled new believers and prayed for them. Colossians 4, you can find that. But when danger threatened the members of the church in Colossae, Epaphras traveled to Rome to get counsel from Paul. Epaphras loved the believers in this city, and he wanted them to become mature in Christ and resist false teaching. The word disciple is found 260 times in the Gospels and the book of Acts. The verb translated to learn as a disciple is found 25 times in the New Testament. So the idea here of discipling, it wasn't just to listen to a teacher. You know, you know how it is. You've been through school, and you listen to a teacher. You just, you just try to retain the information. You do not like the subject, okay? I'm sure there was one subject in school that you didn't like. You're like, oh my goodness, Lord, get me through this. But you just get the information. You retain it long enough to what? Until you take the final or the test, the exams, the final, and you're like, finally, get, get out of my mind information. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but not so with the truth or growing in the faith. We are lifelong learners. And so it was the idea that a student would actually walk around with a teacher, this word disciple, live with them, and soak in what it meant to believe. To disciple means to spend time with the teacher so the truths can be both taught and caught. Disciple means learning by living. Learning by living. But as people who disciple, we don't want to get in the way of those growing in the Lord either. What I mean is we don't want to make disciples for ourselves. We are to make disciples for Christ. And make sure believers don't start becoming dependent upon you for spiritual growth. This person is on vacation for two weeks. Oh, no, I'm going to fail in my faith. It shouldn't be like that, right? You, we disciple, we pour into people, but they need to be discipled by Christ. Really, we come alongside them and teach them and answer questions. But ultimately, it's between them and the Lord. That's the relationship. It's fostered when they seek God one-on-one. -on -one. Remember John the Baptist. When, when Jesus came on, on the scene, like he was like, John the Baptist was basically like, look to him, not me, <laughs> you know, paraphrasing, but he's like, look to him, here he is, the Messiah is here, I've been pre preparing your, the way for him, not for me, like, I'm tr not trying to make disciples to follow me, you know, um, once I have 5,000 Instagram disciples, then I'm all good, <laughs> it wasn't like that, right, it was like, once everyone, once Jesus came on the scene, there he is, there he is, look to him, follow him, and that's what we get to do. And so discipleship is all about pointing people to Christ and his truth, not to us and what we know. Like, of course, we come alongside them, we teach them, we, we do whatever we can to help them and answer questions, um, pray for them and all of that. But ultimately, it's like you're putting, you're putting uh, in a sense, you know, Jesus's hand into their hand and be like, now, now follow him. I'll help you, I'll answer questions, but it's between you and him. That's where spiritual growth comes from. Because human nature has the tendency to want to follow people rather than God. Human nature wants to have something new rather than being content with the foundational truths of the faith. Like we disciple and teach and live out the faith, but the whole purpose is for others to seek Jesus on their own and be dependent upon him, not dependent upon us. We continually and constantly beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. Like it's about this, it's about Jesus. 
But now we come to the results and the efforts of Epaphras. Number four, they became faithful in Christ, verse six and eight. They became faithful in Christ. When God's word is planted and cultivated, it produces fruit. And fruit is evidence that a person is saved. So in these verses, we see faith, hope, and love. I love that. Faith, hope, and love, just like Corinthians. The greatest of these is love, but these three go together. They're a nice trio. Faith comes through hearing God's word. Verse, uh, or Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing God's word. Our Christian life starts with saving faith, but it doesn't end there. Then we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and we work by faith, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. We walk by faith and we work by faith. Faith gives us power to pray. It protects us from the enemy's fiery darts, Ephesians 6, 16. Faith is important. And then we have love. Love is another evidence of salvation. Christian love is not some fake emotion that we manufacture in our hearts. It is the result of the work of the Spirit in our hearts, Romans 5, 5. If someone is hateful, they are filled with the flesh. They're not filled with God's love, right? They're filled with the flesh. If someone is loving, they're filled with the Spirit. It's important to note that Colossians 1, 8 is the only verse in this letter that references the Holy Spirit, and it's in relation to love. Believers should be knit together, Colossians 2, 2 so that we have true spiritual unity and bring glory to God. So we have faith, we have love, and then we have hope. Hope is also a clear characteristic of, true, of the true believer. Unsaved people are without hope because they're without God. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. False teachers had the goal of moving believers away from the faith, but Paul lets them know that their faith is laid up in heaven. Colossians 1.5. The phrase laid up means to be reserved or to be set aside for someone. The verb here indicates that the hope that we adhere to will lead to a reserved place in heaven. In other words, we're being guarded for glory. How are faith, hope, and love connected? Well, the more we love someone, the more we trust them. And as we come to know God better, we learn to trust him more and more. Whenever there's a growing, uh, a growing faith and love, hope emanates. When a man and a woman fall in love with each other, their future grows brighter. When we love God, we trust God, and then we, ha- we, we can have a confidence and a hope in our future, for our future, because our destination is connected with our Savior. You see, the gospel is such, it's such good news. Amazing scriptures here, guys. And, and that's the thing. We're, we're constantly, as believers, we're, we're guarded for glory, but we want to continue on. It's not, being saved is not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong process. We never get to the point of, I've attained it all now. Listen to me. We're not trying to make disciples of ourselves. We're trying to point people to Jesus constantly. We don't want people to follow us. If they look to us, we need to take the mirror and reflect it upward. So people look up to God, to Jesus, not to us. It's to glorify him, you know, not to glorify ourselves. But may we constantly be learning and growing. May we have a teachable heart and be open to what God says to us. May we always be teachable because that's the way to flourish in the faith. That's the way to grow towards God. Um, That's the way to be lifted up. And maybe some of you right now are struggling. Maybe you're struggling really bad. And you're lonely. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you lost your job. 
Maybe you have loved ones that are sick. I don't know exactly, but, but God knows. Trust that he's with you, that he's with you in the fire. He's going to get you through the fire. He's for you. And there's, it's gospel. It's good news. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll help you figure it out. Look to him for wisdom. Stay connected with other believers that will give you counsel from the Bible. Not opinion, but what, what God says. Because this is what lifts us up. It's what helps us grow spiritually. And you know, God wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage me every single day. You know, there's one point in Paul's ministry where everyone left him. Everyone scattered. All the people that he thought were faithful to God and following what was, what was going on and spreading the gospel, they, all, they were all gone. But he says, God was with him. And so just know that today, that God is with you. Wherever you're at in life, he wants to meet you. He loves you, and he always will. He'll never love you less because of something you did yesterday. He loves you just as much. Stay close to him.